0: This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.
1: Um, I get it tonight, all right? I don't think he's 100%. I don't think he's going to be 100% at any point the rest of the season. There's a good chance from what you read that he's going to need surgery on that toe in the offseason. He's grinding through the rest of the season because the Yankees have virtually no chance if he doesn't play. But after tonight, this two days on, one day off, three days on one day off what even five days on one day off for judge that has to stop it really does okay a day off every two weeks a day off every you know 15 games all right fine that's kind of standard operating procedure in major league baseball these days but three days on and one day off that's not going to get the yankees anywhere he's too important and we'll see tonight as we follow along like we'll see how much the lineup is impacted. They look like a different line even on even on Friday night, just the fact that he got on base three times via the walk, but he was on base three times. And the Yankees had opportunities. The Yankees had runners on base, multiple runners on base twice, and grounded into inning ending double plays. And then in the eighth inning, they had runners on second and third and two out. And Rizzo seemed to have that hard base hit into right field that would have given them the lead. And it was a great diving stop from the second baseman that robbed Rizzo and ended the inning. And then Baltimore ended up going on to win it on the walk-off home of the ninth. But the Yankees had opportunities. They just, A, couldn't come up with the big hit. And B, stellar, stellar defense from the Orioles prevented them from scoring on Friday. And then last night, top to bottom, their offense looked great. It looked great. And it's no coincidence that it looked like that with Aaron Judge back. So when Judge is producing, obviously that's the main thing you need from him. And the second main thing you need from him is the lineup looks different. Everybody else in the lineup seems to look different when he's back. one 800 we will get to the Mets. Um, let's go to Manny in Flushing. Hey, Manny, what's going on?
0: Nothing much. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you, Manny?
0: That really looks good, man. Listen, um, look, I think to the Mets, you know, I think the, the Mets under Cohen's ownership has been a disappointment uh, because you think about it. Two of the last three years are, are most likely uh, no playoff appearances. I mean, this is. I mean, when you say by 2015 we're going to win a World Series, that is a, a, a very predictable situation. I, I think it's very dangerous to say that. I mean, he has a right to force his opinion, but at the same time you better back it up because God reminds me, of a different time of uh, remember Mikhail Parker the previous owner yep. of the of the Nets uh, he bought the team when the franchise was still in New Jersey before they were about to move to Brooklyn and I never forget I think in, he said like in 5 years we yep. were going to the West Eastern
1: Conference finals the No he said he is, said an NBA championship in 5 years I was in the room when he said it
0: Yeah and and guess what by 2015 no finals no conference finals appearance it's something the Nets hadn't had since I was in third grade back in 2003. Uh, Now I'm just like, it kind of reminds me, the way that Cohen said, it it kind of reminds me what Mikhail Prokhorov did, and it still hasn't gone as we released the expectations.
1: It's, I agree with you, Manny. Um, I think it's silly when new owners do that. And and one thing that Prokhorov and Cohen had in common, when Prokhorov bought the Nets, he became the richest owner in the sport. Rich Mm -hmm. in Rich in like an already exclusive club. And the same thing with Cohen. So these are two guys, to continue the comparison, who have had very, very few failures in their lives. It's been all success that have made them in their respective businesses among the wealthiest people in the entire world. And a lot of times when you are that successful in one walk of life, you think you're bulletproof across the board. And you get wrapped up in the excitement of owning a team, and the excitement of how the fans are feeling that you're owning their team. And I think you say things that you come to regret. And yeah, I completely agree with the comparison, Manny. Um, And and that five-year comment that Cohen made is looking less and less likely.
0: Yeah, because it's like because I never liked what owners do. That it basically puts the pressure. Or the team. You can never hear owners like rarely you rarely hear your owner say that. I mean, say so what you want about James know what you want. But he will never say, Oh, we're gonna be a championship because he knows he's pretty damn well uh, damn well sure that um you know he was the Knicks or not a championship, even though that really think about the first couple of years when he became the principal owner, I think the Knicks went to the finals and conference finals in ninety nine, two thousand. Go figure.
1: Right, but the infrastructure, obviously, Manny, thanks for the call, was already in place for those Knicks teams. And, uh, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, He was. He took over right around that time when they made that run as the eighth seed to the NBA Finals in 1999. Most owners don't make those comments, but it is funny, though. Yeah, I mean, when Prokhorov bought, and it was the New Jersey Nets back then, this was even before the move to Brooklyn, Prokhorov buying that team and getting his money behind it helped the Nets cross the finish line to make the move into Brooklyn. If you remember, that was like a logistical, political nightmare that dragged on for years, the Nets' moved to Brooklyn. There was the imminent domain issues that with, with the people that uh, were residing right around where Barclays Center is right now. Prokhorov came in with his money and helped get that to the finish line. So the Nets fans were excited that he took over for that reason. And just like we know that the Mets fans were excited that Cohen took over. Look, Cohen's not... And we'll get into the Mets conversation now. This is a a terrific time to do that. Cohen's tenure, I don't think, has been a disaster. This the first year was the first year. Okay? Last year was awesome. I mean, you gotta remember, last year, at this point, last couple days of July, even through the end of August, all right, the short list of teams that all of the experts said could win the World Series, the short list was the Yankees, the Astros The Dodgers, the Braves, and the Mets. Those were the five teams that hovered all over all the rest of Major League Baseball at this point last year and later in the season last year. And then the Mets just—Atlanta got hot. Atlanta is the most well-run, best franchise in baseball right now. And Atlanta got hot in September. The Mets, I think they peaked too early. And then when push came to shove in that second-to-last series, that last weekend of the regular season last year, when push came to shove and the Mets needed to win one game to wrap up the division, which I think could have changed everything for that team, they couldn't do it. And they just ran up against a better franchise that is more conditioned to coming through in that spot. And then the Mets had that stain on them into the playoffs, and they never recovered from that. And now this year, I don't know if it was a carryover effect, but the Mets' troubles this year are very similar to the Yankees' troubles this year, where it's just an underperformance across the board from guys who you expect more from. And Alonzo had the injury and was up until this last week when he has caught fire and another couple of RBIs for Pete Alonzo today, but up until this last week from... The, the month when Alonso came back from the injury on Father's Day till about a week ago, he was awful. Lindor Lindor does not perform up to what his contract necessitates he does. Lindor, again, I put him in the same boat as Verlander and Scherzer. More specifically Scherzer, because Verlander has elevated himself to he's not fine. He's better than fine. Verlander's awesome right now. But Max Scherzer this year was fine for the Mets. Francisco Lindor is fine for the Mets but when you make 30 million dollars a year you need to be more than fine just like when you make 43 million dollars a year in the case of Scherzer you need to be more than fine and the second that Cohen signed Lindor to that contract right before opening day in 2021 I knew it was a mistake it was a mistake and look he again he got wrapped up in the emotion the fans were so happy that he was in charge they wanted him to buy the team it looked like he had an agreement the deal fell through and then a couple of months later they re-engaged talks and finally they were able to push that deal through and the Mets were rid of the Wilpons which was a win and they got the owner with the deepest pockets in baseball who genuinely wants to please the Mets and one of the ways in which he was, excuse me, genuinely wants to please the Mets fans. And one of his first acts of trying to genuinely please the Mets fans was signing Lindor to that contract, that 13 year contract or whatever it was, on the eve of opening day in 2021. I mean, the timing wasn't a coincidence. He wanted everybody in that ballpark to. Come there the next day talking about nothing but that, and that was the tone that he wanted to start that season with. Except one thing, it's not a good contract. It's in year three of that contract, and it's already aging terribly. But the problem for the Mets this year has been their established veterans have either been unavailable or, in most cases, underperforming. Alonzo, Lindor, Starling Marte, Jeff McNeil. Max Scherzer Verlander missed the first month of the season and the Mets just buried themselves in too deep of a hole and they have not been able to come up with any consistency to get them on track you know what at least with the Yankees you can point to Aaron Judge Judge is having a phenomenal season when available before the first injury um when he came back after the first injury and now that he's come back in two games from the second injury. The Mets don't even have that. Like who? Nimmo's been fine. He's been good. Gets on base a lot. You love the way he plays. Good defense. Has added some power to his game with each and every year. But you, are you hanging your hat on Brandon Nimmo? He's been, he's been your best player this year. Hasn't been Lindor. It hasn't been Alonzo. It hasn't been Marte. And the other thing you hang your hat on for the Mets is Francisco Alvarez because you have a building block there, a young catcher with power for the future. That's great. That's the most positive development to come out of this season so far. And the pitching of David Robertson in the bullpen. But he's gone now, so that's a moot point. So all of those things have conspired to bury the Mets and put them in the position where they basically have to start from scratch. Cohen used all of his money to take this one approach to build a team. Just spend money. Spend money on major leaguers, Lindor, Scherzer, Verlander. I'll pay Scherzer the highest single-season salary in the history of Major League Baseball. And in the next offseason, instead of signing DeGrom to a long-term contract, which I agreed with and most people did, I will do the same thing with Verlander and sign him for the equally highest Single season salary in the history of Major League Baseball. I'll give Lindor a long term 30 plus million dollar a year contract that I don't think any other team in Major League Baseball would have given him. I'll sign Carlos Correa to a 200 plus million dollar contract. I'll sign Edwin Diaz to 20 million dollars a year. Brandon Nimmo to 20 million dollars a year over eight seasons. But that's only part of building a franchise, okay? You also have to build from within. Because if you rely solely on aging veterans, at some point, they're going to break down or not perform as well. And that is always the danger in sports of paying guys for past performance. Who did Cohen pay for past performance? Scherzer? Lindor? Furlander. That's $120 million, roughly, paid for past performance or about 150% of the entire payroll of the best team in the American League, the Baltimore Orioles. It can't just be spending money to bring in veterans whose market is based on what they have done before. There has to be a happy medium. I think the actions of the past week, the Robertson trade, and now the Max Scherzer trade, I think the Mets are starting to use that money in another area Because they do have the financial advantage over everybody else, and they're starting to use that money to help build the infrastructure of their franchise. And if they don't do that, then they're not going to win. That's how the Astros did it. That's how the Braves have done it. That's how the Baltimore Orioles are doing it right now. That's how the Dodgers have done it. The two teams that tried to skip that process, the Mets and the San Diego Padres, probably the two most disappointing teams in Major League Baseball this year. All right, we'll hear from Mets Brass, as Max Scherzer terms them, Billy Epler, Buck Showalter, and Justin Verlander after what could have been his final start in a Mets uniform this afternoon. And your calls at 1-800-919-3776 here at 98.7 ESPN New York.
0: This this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.
1: Vast financial resources and signing, like I just said, veterans, mostly for past performance, what they were getting rewarded for. That's not the way to build a championship team. Um, You need to build up the infrastructure. You need to do all of it. And then doesn't mean you got to get out of the free agent market. I mean, the Mets are going to be active in the free agent market after this season and every offseason. But that can't be your only source of building a team. I mean, I said this all along, and I understand that the Edwin Diaz injury had a big part in this because the Mets spent $100 million on him, and he wasn't part of the team this year. But the Mets spent all of this money in the offseason, from $160 for Nimmo um, to $86 million over two years for Verlander to $100 million for uh, Edwin Diaz. Uh, to whatever the contract offer was for Carlos Correa that ended up falling through. And did the Mets really improve their team? No, they didn't. You know, Nimmo was still their center fielder, just a higher-paid center fielder. They lost DeGrom. He was replaced by Verlander. We'll call that a wash. They actually took a step backwards at the closer position, although not as big a step as we thought they would because Robertson was awesome when he was here in New York. But they didn't improve the closer position, even though they invested $100 million in that uh, for Edwin Diaz. Jose Quintana, $26 million, didn't pitch until two weeks ago. So that was not a factor until recently either. So that's not how you build a team. And that has shown itself to be true this year with the Mets, this disappointing Mets season that really the main thing worth watching for the Mets is the next 48 hours between now and 6 p.m. on uh, Tuesday. They don't have a game between now and then. What will the Mets do? Will Verlander stay? Um, What other moves will they make between now and the trade deadline? Let's go to Lloyd in New Jersey. Lloyd, what's up? Hey Pat, you know
2: um, my take on this. First of all, I, I love William Epler. That was one of the best quotes I heard. We're not uh, we're not rebuilding. We are repurposing. That's got to go in Bartlett's quotations. Gotta love it. Uh, I don't think that Justin Verlander is going to go anywhere unless it's Los Angeles, because I can't picture Kate Upton saying, "Yeah, let's go back to Houston." You know, she's probably saying, L.A. or we stay. That's that's just my take on it. And uh, he kind of alu- uh, alluded to that in his postgame press conference. He's got to discuss it with the family. So as far as I'm concerned, but I think there's one thing about Max Scherzer, this story, and I'm going to put this in my – I write a column for the Queens Chronicle. It'll be out on Thursday. My take on Scherzer is kind of – is a little different. He was very active in the Players Association, and I have a feeling his phone blew up from players on other teams – maybe potential free agents, worrying after the David Robertson situation, saying, what's going on with the Mets? Or is he going to is Steve Cohn going to turn into the next Fred Wilpine go from one extreme to the other? And so when reporters asked him on Friday I keep in mind, he didn't say this unsolicited. It was only when reporters asked him about it. He says, yeah, I'm going to talk to a management about this. He may not have been talking about his own personal situation, um, but more for the union, because he is a face of the union. And Jim Duquette said on SNY, and he's a former general manager, so he knows the trade deadline wars. He said something very interesting. He says Scott Boris, the Rangers, and the Mets probably were discussing this just in case Boris wanted to broach. Let's say none of this happened, maybe he would have broached Scherzer just to gauge interest. And so I think that's what happened. That uh, and then you might say, why did Scherzer take the deal? One thing, my conversations with Max over the years is he's very adamant that. He wants every major league team owner to be competing for the World Series. So when the Texas Rangers come knocking and say, we want to win a World Series with you, and the Mets clearly weren't going to have that happen this year, he may have said, you know, if I don't do this, I'm going to look like a hypocrite to my fellow players in the MLBPA. So that's a little different take than you might get, but I just want to put it out there uh, because I'll be writing about it in my weekly Queens Chronicle
1: column, Pat. Lloyd, good to talk to you, man. Lloyd Carroll, the Queens Chronicle there, does a good job. And he's been around in clubhouses and talking to these guys for years. For me, though, I think it's more about um, Scherzer. He's so close to the end of his career that I think he wanted to be the, the Robertson trade was jarring. I don't think it was surprising that they traded David Robertson. I think it was surprising when it happened. It was Thursday night. It was after a win. Look, if you're Scherzer or you're Verlander or Alonzo or somebody in that Mets clubhouse, you're not thinking about, I mean, you're obviously thinking about the trade deadline, okay? But you're not thinking about, oh, I wonder You know what we can get for this guy. No, you're thinking if we can go on a run here, even if it's like a mini five-game run, he had four games starting Thursday against the last-place Nationals and then three games coming up against the Kansas City Royals. Now, the first game of that series will be after the trade deadline has passed. But let's just say, hypothetically, the Mets swept the four games from the Nationals. They were thinking that they were a runaway from getting closer to contention for the wild card. And that essentially ended when, after a win— after an impressive win on Thursday night, that essentially ended when the Mets decided to trade David Robertson after that Thursday night game. You know, if the Mets had won all four games, they would have been 51 and 54. They would have been five and a half games out of the last wild card But that's not an impossible task, especially with the way that Scherzer pitched the other night and the way that Verlander uh, has been pitching um, the last nine starts. Verlander, the last nine starts, has been like the best pitcher in Major League Baseball. Uh, Lloyd the caller alluded to Verlander um, and his comments after today's game he pitched uh, five in the third innings he gave up one run Um, first and foremost a standing ovation from the city field crowd after what could have been his final appearance in a Mets uniform Uh, myself starting the season on the injured list and you know fighting my way back and I regret you know obviously injuries happen but Definitely not the way, and I told you guys this at the time, not the way I wanted to get my Mets career started off. It's been nice to be pitching better as of late. And on that note, uh, I mean, the fans tonight were pretty incredible. I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you to them. Uh, That was uh, a nice ovation. I don't know what's to come, but that I'll always remember and appreciate. All right, so Verlander came to New York in the offseason to be co-ace of this staff with Max Scherzer. Last year it was Scherzer and DeGrom. This year Scherzer and Verlander. And again, the last nine starts, and I'll give you his numbers in a moment, but the last nine starts, Verlander has pitched like an ace. But what did he think uh, about the Max Scherzer trade? A bit surprised with that one. You know, obviously kind of leave the stadium and, and, and see some of the comments that he made and 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 wonder, you know, what happened. Because um, it, it, obviously things came together really quickly. And, you know, yeah, was a, was a bit surprised to see it, see it go down. I think Scherzer said what he said on Thursday night. Uh, Friday night, excuse me. Scherzer said what he said on Friday night after he pitched and beat the Nationals. He said, I need to speak with Brass, Mets management. He clearly was not happy with the Robertson trade. I'm sure that that conversation happened. And I think Scherzer expressed his wishes to not be a part of the organization. He's 38 going, he's now 39 years old. Um, three times Cy Young award winner, no hitters. First ballot Hall of Famer. World Series champion, everything. He's got one or two swings left at another championship, and that's why he came to New York last year. They came close, not as close as anybody wanted, but they won 101 games last year, and until the final weekend of the regular season, they were on their way to winning the division. Now, it fell apart there, and by the way, he's partly to blame for that. So that's an important part of this story. But I think that Scherzer expressed to management that once Robertson was gone, if this is the approach they're going to take, then he doesn't want to be part of the equation anymore. And they moved quickly to make it happen, and it did happen. All right, we spent the first hour of the show previewing the Yankees and the Orioles and how it's a big game for the Yankees and how Aaron Judge isn't playing and how the Yankees look like a different team since Judge has been back and how Luis Severino, his last two starts, have been positive and you hope it was a sign of things to come and a sign that he can turn things around. Well, disaster for Severino and the Yankees in the first inning in Baltimore. He has not recorded an out, and the Orioles lead the Yankees six to nothing. That's right. Six batters have come to the plate; they have all scored. It is six nothing Baltimore, with no outs in the bottom of the first inning. So, nothing to watch there. Keep it here with us. We'll get into Aaron Rodgers' comments about uh, Sean Payton and Nathaniel Hackett. And really, the Max Scherzer tenure in New York. It was short. It was impactful. But how do we view it now that it's actually officially over? Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York.
0: This this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.
1: Set on Friday, this is going to be a statement series for both teams. um, And the Orioles right now appear to be making the louder statement. Yankees needed to make a statement just to kind of stabilize themselves. Aaron Judge coming back, and frankly, every single game is important for the Yankees because of the deficit that they have to overcome in the standings. And for the Orioles, look, this is their first time probably all season on the national stage. I mentioned earlier it's their first time at Camden Yards on Sunday Night Baseball in five years. Last night they were on the Fox national game. They're in first place in the AL East. They have the best record in the American League. But not a lot of people know about this Orioles team. So the tendency for the casual fan, who probably hasn't watched them a lot this season, would be that, oh, well, this team is just hot right now, and maybe they're not for real. Well, now that people are getting their first look at them throughout the country, they're making a very loud statement, leading the Yankees 6 to nothing. Adlai Rutschman is up for the second time in the first inning against Luis Severino. Uh, real quick, want to give a shout out to Chicago White Sox relief pitcher who made his major league debut today, Declan Cronin. Uh, Cronin is a six four, two 225 pound right handed pitcher. The White Sox have been very active leading up to this trade deadline. They traded Joe Kelly to the Dodgers. They traded Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez to the Angels. They've traded five pitchers leading up to the trade deadline, uh, leaving some vacant spots on their pitching staff. And they called up Declan Cronin, uh, who went to Regis High School, my alma mater. Uh, Shout out to Cronin and Regis because he is the first player ever, first alum ever from Regis High School to make it to the major league. So big day for for us Regians, very proud moment for us, especially uh, those like me who played for the Regis High School baseball program many, many years ago. The idea of somebody who wore that uniform uh, being in the major leagues right now is kind of unfathomable to me. So uh, it's also scary. This guy was born uh in September of 1997 which was uh three months after I graduated from that school so making me feel even older also went to the College of the Holy Cross in uh, Worcester Massachusetts so Declan Cronin made his major league debut gave up a couple of runs in two innings of relief for the Chicago White Sox as they lost to the Guardians five to nothing back to the Mets um they uh, take three out of four against Washington. Verlander, now here's what Verlander, anybody who needs pitching ha- it has to be and is looking long and hard at Justin Verlander. First of all, the pedigree. He won the Cy Young Award last year at 39 years old after missing the previous two seasons. Missed the start of this year. Okay, red flag. How is he going to be? His first six to eight starts were literally one good, one bad, one good, one bad. And then from the middle of June on, he has been arguably the best pitcher in baseball. In the month of July, Verlander has a 1.69 ERA. He's 3-1, 27 strikeouts, 15 walks, which is high, in 32 innings. 27 strikeouts in 32 innings tells you that he's grinding. He's not, and you shouldn't expect him to be at 40 years old, but he's not his overpowering self from earlier in his career. And he has had to adjust on the fly. He missed a month. And then when he came back, he was inconsistent because he was figuring out how to pitch at this stage of his career. And the numbers will show you that he has. He's not blowing people away. Now, the one knock on Verlander this year is that he hasn't given you a ton of length. That is more magnified on a team like the Mets that their weakest point or part, excuse me, was their bullpen this season. So when you don't give a team with a good bullpen a lot of length, that leaves you susceptible when you have to come out of the game and that has happened a lot to Verlander but not so much lately over his last nine starts Verlander nine starts now it's pretty good sample size this goes back to when he and Garrett Cole matched up in a pitcher's duel on June 14th at City Field in the first leg of the Subway Series since that night when he pitched really well nine starts 1.95 ERA 48 strikeouts 18 walks in 55 and a third innings. So, over his last nine starts, he's giving you slightly more than six innings per outing, which is very good. He has trouble putting people away. That's why his pitch count has been elevated. He has walked more batters than he is used to. That's why his pitch count has been elevated. And he still has a fair amount of strikeouts. So, all of those factors have combined for his elevated pitch counts and has chipped away at his length. But if you're a team that is in the pennant race. And we know who those teams are. Just look at the standings. And you have the opportunity to plug him in right near the top of your rotation. That could swing a pennant race in either the American or National League. It absolutely could. This is a guy who right now has the pedigree, the championship pedigree. He has shown a new level of toughness this year because he doesn't have the toolbox that he has had throughout his entire career. And he's still getting it done at 40 years old. He's been on that stage. He was the difference in Houston winning the World Series in 2017. He got them there again last season. And what Steve Cohen did with the Max Scherzer trade, eating $35 million on his contract to get a top-flight prospect if the Mets have a similar deal available for Justin Verlander, and I've got to think that they will, because Verlander Verlander should actually bring back more in return than Scherzer did. Mets traded Scherzer. They got the third-ranked prospect in the Rangers' system, a younger brother of one of the best all-around players in Major League Baseball, and a guy who's the 44th-ranked prospect in all of Major League Baseball, or all of baseball, excuse me. That's a big-time prospect the Mets got back for Scherzer. Scherzer's got a 4.01 ERA. Verlander right now over the last month and a half has been the best pitcher in baseball with as good a pedigree as anybody who's out there. Is he the last piece that goes? You could, From the Mets' perspective, I can see it both ways. If you have a, you know the quote-unquote godfather offer, then you've got to do it. And if Cohen's money gets you a higher-level prospect, you've got to do it. But then on the other side of things, Verlander could come back next year and he could anchor your rotation. Because, listen, this isn't going to be a full tear-down rebuild for the Mets. The Mets are going to expect to contend next year. Alonso's going to be back. Lindor's going to be back. Edwin Diaz is going to be back in the bullpen. You're set at catcher now with Francisco Alvarez. He's only going to get better. Nimmo's going to be back. They're a lineup next year... The expectations are going to be that they perform better. They're going to have to add to it and improve it. They're also going to need improvements from the areas that were deficient this year. The McNeils, the Alonzos, the Lindors, the Starling Martes, all right? But they're not tearing this entire thing down. They're not going to be the Royals or the A's or the White Sox or the Tigers. The Mets are going to expect to contend, maybe not for the NL East because Atlanta is so good. But they're going to expect to contend for a playoff spot next year. And Verlander helps in that regard. Now Max Scherzer being traded and not happy with the David Robertson trade talking to management being traded to Texas less than 24 hours after those comments. You put the pieces together. All right. Mets underperformed this year. Then they make the business decision ahead of the trade deadline that they're going to start selling off their best assets and it started with David Robertson and it essentially ended the season and Scherzer was not happy with that Scherzer has to understand that he is culpable in the Mets underperforming this year because if you list all of the Mets who underperformed compared to what the expectations were for them Scherzer is very close to the top of the list. So when you look at the reasons why this season has gone awry, you get to Scherzer's name very quickly. Now, Scherzer's overall tenure as a Met, a year and a half, he was 20 and 9 with a 3.02 ERA. He ended up starting 42 games, 253 innings pitched, and 294 strikeouts. Those are fantastic numbers, especially for a guy this late in his career but put that aside because he's being paid like an ace so age in this case shouldn't matter his overall numbers as a met were sterling but you've got to take a closer look at what he did in the big spots and it all unraveled it all started to unravel for the mets that final regular season weekend last year in atlanta and scherzer pitched they lost friday Scherzer pitched the Saturday game. Remember, the Mets needed to win one game, and they wrapped up the division. And Scherzer pitched the Saturday game in Atlanta, lost five and two-thirds innings, four earned runs, and gave up two home runs. His next time on the mound was game one of the wild-card series against the Padres, and we know how that went at Citi Field. It was a disaster. Four and two-thirds innings, four home runs allowed, and seven earned runs. And then this year, it was just, it was bumpy. He missed some time with a nagging injury. And then in Los Angeles, he was suspended for 10 games and ejected for the sticky stuff on his hands. He was never able to get traction. There were good starts, but you could also point to three or four times that he had the ball this year in a huge spot for the Mets, where momentum could have significantly swung and that's what he's here for for example the last game before the all-star break remember right before the all-star break the Mets finally showed signs of life they had a miserable June the calendar turned to July and they immediately ran off six straight wins including a Friday night win in San Diego they lost the Saturday game And then the final game before the All-Star break, the rubber match, they had a chance to regain that momentum and go into the break, having won seven of their last eight games, and they had Scherzer on the mound, and he lasted five innings. He gave up five earned runs, and he gave up two home runs. The home run ball killed him this year. Killed him. And the Mets went into the All-Star break on a two-game losing streak, and they were never able to recapture that momentum. More recently, against the Red Sox, Last Saturday, remember the Mets were had that suspended game last Friday? They beat the White Sox two out of three. They go to Fenway Park. Friday night's game was suspended. It was finished on Saturday, and the Mets won the series opener. And then that night, Scherzer took the ball, a chance for the Mets to win a second straight series, win a tough series on the road in Boston six innings pitched, five earned runs, and four home runs. And unfortunately for Scherzer, starting with that final weekend in Atlanta last year, in the biggest spots where the Mets needed him to be an ace, he wasn't an ace for them. You know, he had starts this year like his last start. On Friday night, seven innings pitched, one run against the last place team, the Washington Nationals. But I got to be honest with you. It's tough to... Stomach Max Scherzer, who as much as anybody should have blood on his hands for this season that has gone awry for the Mets. It's tough to stomach that being the guy to march into Steve Cohen's office and telling him he doesn't want to be a part of this rebuild. The reason they're in this position, he's not the only reason, but he's a big reason they're in this position, and he was the first guy to jump ship. And I love Max always has been one of my favorite athletes to watch. Dominant, competitive, feisty, love everything he has always brought to the mound throughout his career. He is a surefire Hall of Famer. He had a great career. And he seems like a really good guy, really good teammate. But this is a tough way to end your year-and-a-half-long tenure in New York going out this way. The team underperformed largely because you underperformed. And then the front office had to make decisions on the direction of the club based on your team's underperformance. And you have a problem with that, and you want out, and now you're out. So for me, the lasting image of Max Scherzer's tenure is going to be number one, the wild card start against San Diego, and number two, his reaction to David Robertson's trade And this season as a whole. And wanting out when he is as much to blame for this season as anyone else on that roster. And now he's in Texas. 1-800-919-3776. Not looking good for the Yanks in Baltimore. Uh, Where do the Mets go from here? And uh, Aaron Rodgers' interesting comments about Sean Payton all coming up on 98.7 ESPN New York.